The stigma associated with suicide is not shame. Shame is the result of the stigma. The actual stigma is the idea that a person facing these challenges who has attempted suicide or died from suicide are seen as weak, selfish, bad, or broken. And that ultimately it was a choice. And what I try to explain to people is that when someone is at that point, their choices have been taken away because again, they haven't been taught differently. Let's go! Welcome to Becoming an Epic Being with your host, Sukoon. As an advocate of conscious living, my mission is to help you young adults navigate through the confronting issues of your generation, question conventional beliefs, and choose authenticity, because that is where your true joy lies. Each week, I dive into raw conversations with inspiring guests who have undergone big shifts and are here to offer you the tools to do the same. So get ready to step up your game and jump on the ride as you begin the journey towards the next stage of your self-evolution. If your ears have made it this far, I invite you to just stay put because without trying to sound too promotional, I promise you this is a conversation you need to hear. And it's not like you have to have experienced suicidal thoughts or lost someone to suicide to relate to this. I certainly haven't. But the amount I've learned from this conversation, like, oh my God, where do I even begin? I've learned so much about the brain and the body and our environment and how everything is connected at a level like I've never understood before. And I have my guest, Jenny Thrasher, to thank for that. Besides being an exceptional human, Jenny is an author, a speaker, and a mental health advocate who uses personal stories to move audiences beyond clinical awareness to a humanized understanding. And that's exactly what a platform All That We Are does as well. In this insanely insightful conversation, you will learn about the side effects of a dysregulated nervous system and how we can bring ourselves back to balance, the factors that cause delays in executive functions of our brain, the correlation between brain development and anxiety, the untold factors that contribute to suicide, as well as the three steps to prevent it, and the subtle elements of the modern lifestyle that could be making one vulnerable and prone to suicide. Not that I mean to scare anyone, but there are just some mind-blowing facts in here to create more awareness about something that's hardly ever talked about. Let's dive in. Yeah, it is so great to have you here, lovely Jenny. Thank you for having me. Likewise, and full confession, this is a topic that I haven't really delved into before, but I fully realize that suicide is a very real and confronting issue that lies at the heart of the mental health space. And there's just like a real lack of awareness about how to deal with this stuff, right? I mean, you obviously have had a whole journey of your own, and I just love the courage and the resilience that you've incorporated to making the impact that you are now. And just to set some context, I think it'll be great for you to just share your backstory and other details of how you came around to be doing all that you're doing now. Yeah, um, for me, my journey in, in doing this work and talking about mental health and suicide came from losing my dad to suicide when I was 20 years old. And he had been my everything. And so when he died, it didn't make sense. And the stigma that's associated with suicide was not who my dad was. 
Um, so it was really important to me that I had a better understanding of what caused this. And so I was actually getting my degree in psychology when he died. And then um, after I graduated, I became a crisis counselor and a public educator on suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. And yet five years later, I had my daughter and I missed all the warning signs that I had been trained to look for that I was teaching Gosh. to other people. And mm-hmm. I actually went through postpartum depression and became suicidal. And what I can tell you now, having done this for almost 25 years, is that for, for most of the last 25 years, I blamed myself for going through that postpartum depression, for getting to the point of being suicidal and missing those signs because I thought, well, I just didn't know. Like my brain was already malfunctioning. I couldn't help myself. And I, and then I thought a couple of years ago, um, how disempowering is that? That we've basically set up this model that says, if you feel suicidal, if you get to that point, it's okay to talk about it, you know, like don't have shame. However, it's most likely your fault that you got there. And, and on top of that, you can't get yourself, you can't get yourself out. So you have to reach out to emergency medical services or to a professional provider to help you get through it. And what I can tell you is that not only did I get through my own challenges um, in 2003, 2004, after my daughter was born, um, but I actually helped my daughter transition from suicidal to thriving in 2019 when she was 15 years old. And that was a big, big um, shift for me to have an awareness of what's working and what isn't. Mm -hmm. Because when it's your child... um, yeah, everything changed. Everything changed. And, and then in addition to that, 2020, for many people, was, was a difficult year. That, for me, was a, was a year of suicidal episodes that I was going in and out of them. Um, and it was in 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going in and out of them. And, and even though it's like, this is what I do. I teach this and, and I teach wellness. I don't just teach how do we stop yeah. suicide in the moment of crisis. I teach how do we reduce the risk of crisis. And, and so 2020 was a huge year for me to learn elements about who we are um, that really transformed my understanding of mental health and realizing this is so much more than mental health. This mm. is really about understanding the connection between our physical, mental, and emotional health. Wow, that does make a lot of sense. And you must have gone through some heavy-duty guilt when you missed the signs for your own daughter when, while you were teaching the world yeah. about this stuff, but I'm glad that you caught the science early enough. And then of course we'll dive into the work that you've done through that, through the course of this whole journey. Thank you. Yeah. And I she's mean, a huge is... supporter of all yeah. of this work. Yeah, I'm sure. And rightly so. Yeah. So what do you think is there like an imbalance there in between the mental, physical, spiritual, like what's going on that leads to this in the first place? Yeah, so the way that I actually explain it, um, you know, because after after Kaylee went through all those challenges, I had parents that were calling me who had heard that I had helped my daughter, and they were all like, "What was the thing that you did?" You know, oh, and I just say to them, experiences with their kids. Yeah, yeah, Whoa. parents whose kids were having challenges, they were calling me and saying, "Like, help me." And oh. and so I would spend hours on the phone with them because. Mm. I would have to explain to them, it wasn't one thing. 
right? Mm. It wasn't five things. Mm. Um, I actually sat down after one of my first calls with another parent and I wrote out all the things that we did to help Kaylee. And what I realized was that it was 17 things that we did in order to help her make that transition. And some of them were really big and some were really small, but every single one of them mattered. And that's when I really started to understand the connection between our physical and our mental health. I hadn't quite, it wasn't until 2020, a year later, that I started to incorporate our emotional health. Um, because a lot of what Kaylee, what I perceived her going through was like physical and mental health challenges that were mm -hmm. feeding off of each other. And, and I would definitely say that if we understand that we are all made of energy, everything mm. around us is made of energy. Sure. So when we have an imbalance in energy in any one of those systems, so physical, mental, or emotional health system, it will cause an imbalance in energy in the other system because they're all connected. Interrelated, you cannot, correct. Yeah, you yeah, cannot yeah. separate them. And so that's why it's so important when someone's going through these challenges that we actually look at these three systems and we look at the elements that make up each one. So I actually, as a result of all the things that I've been through and all the research that I've done, I created what I call the human blueprint. And so it actually shows you the connection between our physical, mental, and emotional health, how each system impacts every aspect of our lives, as well as the elements that make up each system. Sure. And how does the physical fit in here? Oh, well, again, with them being connected. So for instance, Kaylee, when she went into her depression, the, the catalyst that caused it was actually a traumatic brain injury. And oh again, here I am, like I teach wellness. I teach like how to eat clean, how to, yeah. you know, um, think how to well, use... think better, think well. well yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, using, using mindfulness techniques, going and getting acupuncture, going and getting Reiki, you know, like being outdoors, like all this stuff about just being healthy. And, um, and so then all of a sudden my child is, is going in and out of depressive episodes and they're getting worse and worse. And I'm using all the things that I've, that I've been teaching, right? Yeah. So we're going to holistic chiropractors. We're working with the concussion clinic. Um, yeah. we're using herbs, we're using all these supplements. And the thing that was interesting is we would see her start to get better and then yeah. she would plummet. Right. And she would just do this back and forth. Like, yep, I'm feeling better. That was the thing. That was the thing I needed. And then two weeks later, she would completely fall backwards and be like, well, that didn't work. And we would quit. We'd quit using that particular modality or that tool. What I learned in working with her is you have to layer them, right? Mm -hmm. It isn't like do one thing and it's going to fix it. It's yeah. You know what? Those herbs and supplements were helping her brain to heal. Um, you know, going and working with the chiropractor to do adjustments was helping. Um, going and working with a, a Reiki healer was helping. Like, so doing all of these different things were helping, but it was about layering them. And, oh. um, and for her, you know, we ended up getting a service dog who you may hear bark at some point, um, because he's here with me today, but it was also understanding her brain function and, and realizing that she had delays with executive function and actually Sukun, I'd like to like pause some of the physical health to, to really talk about this because when Kaylee was first diagnosed with a delay in executive function, 
it was actually about two years before her um, concussion. And, and so she, she was, she would have been, um, 12, 13. Um, when, so we had her assessed because she was suddenly experiencing all of these challenges in school that she'd never experienced before. And, um, and we already knew that she had sensory processing disorder, which is simply where delays in learning and stuff. No, it's not so much delays in learning. She's incredibly smart. It's yeah. more in with sensory processing disorder. It is where your your senses are heightened or dulled. So oh, wow. your ability to experience the world is is just different. So your nervous system is actually altered. And so there's things that you can do to either stimulate your nervous system to help regulate it, or there's things you need to do to calm it down. So when she was four years old, we, um, we discovered that she had sensory processing disorder. And one of the best heightened descriptions, sorry, was the system heightened or dulled? So this is what's interesting is some kids it's both. So some okay. kids are seekers, which means that they're seeking out the stimulation. And yeah. then there's other kids who withdraw, which means they're trying to avoid the stimulation for Kaylee. It depended on the situation. So if she was with me in the car and we're driving, so picture this like four-year-old, we're in the car and we've got, you know, kids bop, you know, like CD number five in the car and we're listening to Taylor Swift and whatnot. And, um, and it's just from her, it's louder, louder, louder. Right. And, and I mean, our car was just booming. Okay. We go to a Wiggles concert and she shuts down. And she's crying. She can't breathe. It's too loud. It's too, too much. The lights, everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was what was really interesting was that there were certain times where she would seek the stimulation and other times she would withdraw from it. And so we learned to navigate that. We learned different tools to help regulate her nervous system. Um, we use what's called a sensory diet. And I remember when her occupational therapist first talked to us about the sensory diet, I was like, no, 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 no. Like we already eat really clean because I'm allergic to corn. And so I do not want to add anything else to sure. our meal plan. It took me probably two separate visits to understand that we were not talking about food. We, we were talking about physical activity. And that there were things that she could do to regulate her nervous system through physical activity. So we were the family who turned our basement into an obstacle course. And every night, this is going to sound so counterintuitive, but every night before bed, we would go down to the basement. And, and so Kaylee was four and Grace was just, um, she was just one. Like they were both about to have their birthdays, but she was a little peanut. And we would, we'd create a challenge and it was just like, all right, you've got to get through the obstacle course and I'm going to time you. And it was everything from jumping across couches and cushions to jumping on a little trampoline, spinning on, did you guys ever have like the sit and spin where you yes. sit on it and you spin yeah. in a circle? Yeah. Um, we had like a rocking horse. There were just all these different things that would stimulate her body and get her super excited. Mm. And we would do the obstacle course twice to see what her best time was. And Grace, of course, would then like go and do it as well, yeah. which was really cute. And then we would have her lay down on these giant pillows and she would lay on her stomach and I would take an exercise ball and I would start at her feet and I would actually sit on the ball 
on her feet and I would slowly work up her body and I'd get just mm. below her shoulders and I would just sit and I would gently bounce on her body. So she would go from stimulating her nervous system through all the activities to then calming it down with the deep How pressure. We never had a hard time putting her to bed after that. Like, so we would do this routine and then we'd go to her room. We'd read a couple books, talk about the favorite part of our day. And then we would go to bed. That was it. Before learning this bedtime was a nightmare. Like it I would be imagine. put her to bed, get out, you know, all of that. After this, she was great. It was amazing. Right. So, so we had learned this when she was four. Now she's 14, 15 years old. Um, going through all of these challenges and, and I started to tell you about executive function. So, so when she was 12, 13, we had her assessed because all of a sudden she was 20 assignments behind at school. And, and the teacher at first said, yeah, don't worry about it. This is a big adjustment year. Um, you know, but she'll learn how to do it. And within a couple weeks, couple months, it'll be fine. Six months later, we're now at the end of the school year. So it's her seventh grade year. And it is not fine. And she's now more than um, 20 assignments behind. Yeah. And um, so I, I did. I, I set it up. I took her to have this assessment. And what we learned was that she actually had multiple things going on. But one of them was that she was delayed in executive function. And no one really made a big deal about it. And, and the way that I understood it was it will come. Like some kids are just mm -hmm. slower to develop it. Just like some kids walk really early and some kids take right. longer. Kaylee took longer to walk. Yeah. So I thought, all right, it'll just take a couple more years or months, whatever. Oh my gosh. If anyone had actually explained to me the significance of executive function and mm -hmm. that this is not just because she was born early. So it is more common in individuals who were born premature to have that delay. Um, and she was born six weeks early. Um, she had the sensory processing disorder, so we knew these things. However, executive function delays can happen for um, poor diet. As a result of poor diet, it can happen due to drug and alcohol use. It can happen due to trauma. Physical, mental, or emotional trauma can cause the brain to stop functioning in different areas. And that um, contributes to suicide? All of this does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, so what ends up happening is the brain is misfiring um, or it's shutting down altogether. And, and no one explained to us that, that this is what was happening for her. So can you imagine that she, she's so smart. She has all these ideas and yet she can't articulate them. She can't communicate what's That's going on. That's very frustrating. Right. Yeah. So, so we go for years without actually addressing it. Like for two years after she was diagnosed, we do not address this because no one really explained to me, um, the importance of it. And all I knew was that she had anxiety, like a lot of anxiety mm. around school. So I was trying to find things to help physically calm her anxiety, right. basing right. it on the sensory processing disorder. It was like, okay, physical activities. Let's get her into the ninja gym. Let's get her into mm. rock climbing. Let's do all these things to help her body calm down. I never knew that I needed to be looking at her brain development to help wow. her calm down, to alleviate her anxiety. And in fact, even though I started learning about executive function after her, um, after she started going through these depressive episodes, 
I didn't know there was anything I could do about it. So I had met a guy that was based in Atlanta. So I'm in Minnesota. He's based in Atlanta. And he's helping me understand that executive mm -hmm. function is basically like the CEO of your brain. Sure. It's yeah. telling every other part of your brain what to do, how to do it, yeah. how fast to do it, all of that. And her CEO was underdeveloped. Her CEO mm -hmm. didn't have the ability to lead all the other parts of the brain. So we set up special tutors to work with her. Um, school was a nightmare. And, and by yeah. the time we started figuring these things out, she was done. She was checked out. She's like, nope, I don't care. Um, I don't care if I graduate, nope, you know? So she barely graduates. I'm not kidding. Like barely graduates high school, but she does. And, um, it's now been, so she graduated from high school, um, two years ago. And she actually about six months ago applied to go to college and a four year university in, in, um, Montana That's huge. is huge, That's huge. Wow. huge. And she got so in. Nice. So this is where it gets really interesting is I yeah. start going, okay, what do I need to do to best support her to be successful? I start looking into the executive function even more and there's actually a clinic and I know it's here in the U S I don't know if they have any on a global scale, but they did an assessment to determine her brain development and what they determined, they actually test eight areas of the brain function. And we got the assessment back a couple of weeks ago. And, and so what we learned is that part of her brain is operating at 90% capacity above the average 20 year old. Okay. Damn. Two parts of her brain are functioning at less than 15%. Which are those parts? The CEO. So the yeah. official, um, right. yeah. So the official executive function part, as well as her, um, processing speed. Her processing speed is at 9%. And so obviously very much beyond her control. She can't do anything about that. Absolutely. And so what okay. the, and so we actually went in, we had a 90 minute meeting where we talked about all of the challenges, all the frustrations, all wow. of the like disorganization and chaos. And, um, and what the, what the woman taught, told us when she was giving us the, the assessment was Kaylee's not choosing to be this way. This is how her brain has learned how to cope in order to survive. And if you imagine that it's like having a 30 year old and an 11 year old in the same brain trying to answer every question and they're fighting and that's when she's at her best, right? Like that's when she's at her best that, that she has an 11 year old in there making decisions. Right, right. So now imagine she's stressed out, she's tired, she's overwhelmed that brain ability is going to go down. It's not going to go up. Mm -hmm. It's going to go down. So right. what we learned through doing this was that there's actually things you can do to improve your brain function. You don't mm -hmm. just have to wait. And in fact, waiting yeah. isn't going to do it. Um, and so, yeah, so we're signing her up to do a program to increase right. her, her abilities. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you're taking those measures. I mean, what else is the option, I guess, because, Parents just do what they need to do in the best way that they can. And just to do a quick recap, the physical stuff refers to sensory processing or? So our physical health, this is going to be our genetics, um, experiences, biometric markers, our environment, as well as our habits. And, and so oh, if okay. we, so, so it's our actual body. 
It's our physical body. It's the actual experiences we're having. It's the way other people experience us, right? Then when we're looking at our mental health, our mental health, the elements that make up our mental health are going to be um, ego, knowledge, um, it's intelligence, information processes, uh, executive function, personal narrative, and memory. And what I mean by um, information processes, this is how we process information. Do we mm-hmm. um, process externally by talking about it or do we process internally Internally, yeah. yeah, by wanting to be alone and thinking about it? And this is really important for us to understand about ourselves and others because a lot of times we say, well, talk therapy. If you're going through challenges, you just need to go have a therapist. If you're an internal processor, that isn't necessarily going to be what's best for you. Um, And also, if let's say you had um, a head trauma or you have a hormone imbalance, talk therapy isn't going to do anything for those things. Mm -hmm. It might give you an outlet if you're an external processor to be able to go and talk about stuff, Um, but but it's not going to address the root cause. And then, Uh, yeah, go ahead. The emotional, is that what you're coming to? I was going to say, the emotional, um, so the elements within our emotional health that we really want to look at, um, emotions, spirituality, empathy levels, energy restoration, love languages, natural talents, and alignment. Yeah. Are there any stats to indicate what percentage of these three contribute towards suicide, like physical or mental versus emotional? So what I can tell you is it is all three. Um, again, you can't isolate them. They are interconnected. And a lot of times what we see when someone is suicidal or, or they've died from suicide is a lot of times people are looking for that one thing. What was the one thing that caused it? Did they have a fight? Did they get a bad grade? That's not how it works, right? We need to move away from that. Um, just like how we aren't going to fix it with one thing. Um, it wasn't one thing that caused it. So when we understand that, that, um, there are three factors that put someone at the greatest risk for suicide, um, then we can intervene. Well, for what it's worth, Jenny, I'm just so glad that you've taken the time to explain this whole physical aspect because most of us, I mean, even me up until now, would just associate suicide with purely mental or emotional states of being, like not even, not even physical. So thank you for clarifying this in such great detail for everyone listening right now. Um, why has suicide become so common, especially amongst the youth right now? Like what is going on there? Yeah. So if you want, we can talk about the three factors that put someone at the greatest risk, as well as the three factors that can reduce the risk. Um, and I think that will help us to better understand why it's happening. But wait, do you agree that there is an increase in recent years, particularly amongst Gen Z's? So there's, that's a good question. What we know is that there's increased numbers being reported. So it is possible that in the past it was occurring and it wasn't being reported. I do think that the increase in number is closely related to the amount of toxins that we are in every day. Um, And I, and I don't, yeah, of course, because it's, I mean, so I can tell you that one time, um, and it's going to sound like totally out there. Um, but I became suicidal after using a lotion that my body could not process. 
And, um, and I, like, I knew. What this? You may want to share that in case. No, because it, it wasn't like, I actually took, I, so the next day I happened to have an appointment with, with, um, a holistic chiropractor and I took it with me because my intuition when I woke up the next morning was like, it was the lotion because I honestly thought it was something I ate because food can cause this too. Um, and so I took the lotion with me and he checked me, he looked at the ingredients. He said, you know, there's nothing in this ingredient list that makes me think that it's dangerous. Right. Um, but then he muscle tested me. So he used kinesiology to check, to see how my body reacted to it. And I had a level 10 toxic reaction. So even though all the ingredients were quote unquote safe, my body didn't do well with it. Just like my body doesn't do well with kale, even though it's a superfood. My body is like, mm. yeah, foods are very subjective for each person. That's the biggest so, myth so, that's been busted in recent times. Same with skincare products, right? Wow. Um, what skincare stuff could like contribute? Yeah, well, think to about it. Your style. skin is your biggest mm -hmm. organ, and you're now putting chemicals on your skin that it needs to absorb. And, um, and so it's going to go into your body and it's going to, you know, Jeez. some stuff is fine, but I would say like, if you are going through challenges and, and especially if you've just changed something, you know, I, I worked with a family one time that, um, we'd been meeting for a couple of weeks and, and then they told me that their daughter had started taking these supplements for her hair and nails. Like she'd been feeling really insecure and she started taking these supplements and I went, when, when did she start taking those? And sure enough, she started taking them about a month before she plummeted into a deep depression. So all of her grades dropped. Um, her ability to get out of bed was, was non-existent. She was no longer interacting with her friends. And I said, take her off the supplement and see how she does. Like you're going to take her off and then you're going to want to get her moving. Her body needs to detox. And sure enough, they came off the supplement. She started getting active again and her body was able I to restore. We have to address what these chemicals are. Like, what chemicals could be causing this adverse reaction? That well, obviously yeah, I mean, obviously, because again, your your skin, your anything that you ingest through the mouth is going to go into your digestive system, which is then connected to your right. brain, yeah, right? So again, this is um, especially here in the United States. What is allowed in the U.S. is is scary, you know, yeah. like, I mean, they, there's so many things that are in other countries are forbidden. And yet we say it's safe. Right. It's like, are you kidding? Um, but part of it, too, is going to depend on your particular gut health. So if sure. your gut health is is out of balance and then you eat something that someone else can eat, no problem. But if you're already compromised, then your body's going to have a different reaction, right? And so this is where, like, a lot of people say, well, suicide is too complex for us to understand. And what I say Don't is, no, stop scaring people. Suicide is not too complex, okay? Suicide's actually quite simple. Um, it's the human experience that's complex. That's what yeah. makes it complex because each one of us is different. That's why finding finding the diet that works best for you, is it based on your blood type? Is it based on your um, dosha? Is it is it based on moderation? You know, finding the workout that works best for you. Everyone is different in what works best for them. But what I can tell you is, as I mentioned before, there are three factors that put someone at the greatest risk for suicide. If they experience those three factors at the same time is when it can be lethal. And, and so those three factors are extreme distress, 
isolation and a shift in belief. Okay. And, and what I mean, I'm going to break them down so people actually understand it because there can be a lot of misunderstanding around mm-hmm. these three. Extreme distress is not simply job loss, death in the family or divorce. Okay. Extreme distress can be a heated discussion with someone. It could be showing up late for an appointment. Um, how do we know if someone's going through extreme distress? It's when they become fixated on something. And what we need to understand is that just because they're fixated on it doesn't mean that's the root problem. It just is an indicator that that is what they're expressing as their extreme distress, whether it's because they don't really know what the root problem is or they don't feel like they can talk about it. So for example, had I known to look for this, I would have known that my dad was in extreme distress before he died because he kept talking about having a bad haircut. And I'm like, dad, you've had the same haircut my whole life. The fixation began. The fixation, right? It was this bad haircut. The other thing to look for is, and especially if this is out of character, is that they either become fixated on one thing or they become fixated that everything is a disaster. Nothing is going well. Everything is hard. All right. Those are indications that a person's experiencing extreme distress. Now, a person can experience extreme distress for years and never attempt suicide. Okay, so that's why we want to look at the other two factors. Mm -hmm. So our second factor is isolation. And what we want to understand is this is not just the person who spends time alone. All right. And in fact, many people like to spend time alone to recharge. Right. Introverts loved. Right. They loved um, COVID and quarantine and were like, hallelujah. (laughs) I don't want to be around. No, I think it's feeling misunderstood. Yeah. You're right. So it is feeling misunderstood. And the most dangerous form of isolation is when we truly can't be ourselves. Okay. When we are around people and we don't feel like we can be honest in who we are, what our thoughts are, what our beliefs are. So what it does is it creates a disconnect between who we are presented as and who we truly are. And again, that's now an imbalance, right? And what did we talk about? Like, When there's an imbalance, that's when we see physical, mental, and emotional pain. Um, Pain can lead towards someone going into a state of feeling suicidal. So so having that awareness of isolation and, and being able to check in with people. And when you check in with someone, if you are concerned that they're in distress and that they're isolating themselves, which is going to be not just their spending time alone, but the way they're doing it. Are they withdrawing? Are they acting different? Are they acting disconnected? The last thing you want to do is call them, text them, or walk up to them and say, what's the matter with you? What's wrong? Why are you not as much fun as you normally are? You know, Mm. nobody wants to hear those questions. What you can say is, hey, do you want to go get some coffee? Hey, do you want to come hang out with me? Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, I noticed that you seem a little different and I'm just checking in, you know? That's it. With my friends, what we do, um, we have a code where it's, I didn't make my bed today. If I send that message to any of my friends, they know that I'm feeling off. I might not know why I'm feeling off. I might not be suicidal, but I just need someone to remind me that I'm loved. That's it. Just pour some love into me. Right. And, and so it's not fix my problem. You know, it's just love me. That's it. And, and I love that my friends will send that to me too. Like I didn't make my bed or I had one friend, um, after her grandmother passed away and, and she'd had a lot of challenges, um, just going through her grief. 
And then a couple months had passed and I got a message from her and I could not help but smile because what I saw when I opened my phone was I made my bed for the first time today. And it was just this like beautiful, wow. you know, with my, with my younger daughter, it's, um, is there anything you want to talk about? Right. If I asked that question and we actually sat down together to say, how do you want me to check in? If I notice that something seems a little bit off, I don't want to just assume that it is off, but how would you like for me to check in with you? And that was what we agreed to was that if I say to her, Hey, is there anything you want to talk about? She knows that I'm aware that something seems off without assuming it is off. Um, and then she can choose to talk or not talk, you know, and I won't push her. Um, but that way I don't seem like a helicopter mom, but I also don't seem disconnected and unaware. Um, and actually I got to say, it was really cute. The other day I actually overslept and then was rushing to get on some zoom calls and just had a full day. And, um, late that afternoon I had gone back into my bedroom and I'd sat down on the bed and my daughter walks in and she was like, Hey, I'm just checking in. I was like, Oh, thanks. How's your day going? And she's like, Oh, I'm good. She goes, but I noticed you didn't make your bed today. I just want to make sure everything's okay. <laughs> this was your daughter? How's yeah, the... she's 17. Our president and... can come on, but I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was so, and I was like, no, I'm good. I just, it's been a weird day, but I am good. So, um, but she knows I make my bed every day. And the only time I don't typically is if I'm off. I'm feeling sloppy. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So now let's go to our third factor, that shift in belief. This one is so important. So... I believe that we're born with the belief that this world is incredible, beautiful, that there are infinite possibilities and that we are perfectly made. As and we're we... all superheroes. <laughs> yes, we are. We're all super... Well, we are, right? We forget that we are, but we are. And so as we go through life, we experience different, different moments in time that can make us question if those things are true, you know? When it becomes dangerous is when we truly start to believe. Now, these are going to be false beliefs, but they're strong and they feel intense and they feel real. But the belief is this world is no good. Nothing good is going to happen for the rest of my life. It's just pain. Um, there are no possibilities. It's, it's just bleak, dismal emptiness. And I am not perfect. I am a burden on those around me. I am unworthy of love, mm. right? And, and so what I try to help everyone understand is that when a person gets to the point that they are suicidal, at the core of their pain, the, at the very, very center of their pain is the feeling or the thought that they are either unworthy of love, undeserving of love, or that they truly are unloved, okay? And even though I've, I've talked about this with some people and, and a couple men have said, well, I didn't think that, like, I get what you're saying, but I didn't actually think that they're like, for me, it was that I was focused on, I didn't have a purpose. And I said, okay, so let's take that a little bit deeper. When you have a purpose, it means that you matter, that you belong, that you are serving others. You're helping others without that purpose. You're no longer helping others, right? You're no longer contributing. And so now the, at the root of your pain is this like, well, I'm unworthy. Like I'm undeserving because I don't have that purpose. And when we talked about it in that way, it clicked with them. 
right? So their language might not be, I don't feel worthy of love, but everyone I've talked to, that is what it comes down to. Like when you really dig deep and you get to the core, yeah. that is what it is. So all of this other stuff that we can do around suicide prevention does not matter if we don't mm -hmm. first address the, the idea that they do not feel worthy of love. So it's really important that we are connecting with them in meaningful ways. And this is where, like in my course, I actually teach how to use the five love languages to interact with someone who's in crisis. That it's great to use them when you're happy and in love, even more important to use them when someone's facing challenges. Wow. So as far as the belief stuff goes, it's basically about having very polarized, extreme beliefs that really shift and flip people in terms of how to think about themselves mm -hmm. or the world. Right. 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 However, oh my God, this what's, yeah, what? what's interesting because people might be like, well, I don't know how to change someone's belief system. Right. You don't have to, you don't need to, um, what you can do. Um, and I know this works because, um, I've taught it for years, but I've lived it. And, and what I can tell you is that in January, January, February of 2021, I received a phone call from a, from a very good friend of mine. And when I answered the phone, he said, Hey, Jenny, um, you taught me the three factors that put someone at the greatest risk for suicide. And I'm worried about you. Oh my God. He said, I know you're going through extreme distress because of your divorce. I haven't heard from you in almost two weeks, which makes me think that you're isolating yourself. Yeah. So tell me, what do you think? What do you believe in this moment? Now, as much as I love this friend, he wasn't someone I would have reached out to to say, I'm not yeah. okay. Not because I don't like him, don't love him, more because I wasn't sure how he'd handle it. But in that moment, I knew. I knew that he understood. I knew that I was safe and I could be honest. And so I was, and I said, I don't even think that my daughters need me at this point. Oh my God, wow. Right, Holy and so he shit. said, do you want me to come over? And I said, no, because it was late at night and he lives 30, 45 minutes away. And so yeah. I said, no, no, no. I'm, and he said, okay, then I'm going to stay on the phone with you. Right? <sighs> what so he scary. did, what he did by staying on the phone with me mm. was he helped me to know that I was in a safe space, that I could talk. He pulled me out of my isolation. He alleviated my distress because again, I'm an external processor. I need to talk about things. But I didn't feel like I could talk about my divorce because all my friends are my ex's friends, you know, and I don't want to put oh, them. Wow. Yeah. I don't want to put them in that yeah, in a position. So, but he was like, no, you can talk to me. Right. Like, just tell me what's going on. And, and so I did. Him. Yeah. And I was able to talk to him. Well, by pulling me out of my isolation, alleviating my distress, guess what happened? He brought me back to center. By the time we hung up the phone, without him even saying it, I knew that my girls needed me, right? It's, it's about connection. It's, mm -hmm. it's about, you know, reminding a person that, that they do have purpose, that there is meaning in their life. And, and this brings us to the three factors that reduce the risk. And it is connection, meaning, and contribution, okay? giving someone the opportunity to experience those three things, or we take responsibility for ourselves and ensure that we are experiencing those three things regularly um, is going to help reduce the risk of crisis. Gosh, these insights are so incredibly enlightening.
because typically when we've read research and articles on suicide, you know, we always talk about, you know, things like family grief or death in the family, um, you know, like exam stress for kids. And these days, like social comparison, social yeah. media, cancel culture, things like that. Yeah. Never would anyone or I, have, I would have ever thought that this actually involves things like what you're eating. Um, yeah. Like skincare, yeah. like Jesus, I'm like, what is going on? And you just realize that how nuanced this mm. whole subject is. It's, it is very complex. It is very, very complex. Yeah. And I want to actually ask you, what was the chemical that caused you to do like, um, to have that? I don't know. Or you I haven't, don't know. You haven't like the identified no, that. I didn't, I just oh. didn't use it anymore. I was like, I don't, I don't My want God. it. I don't use so it. That's the question. Like with all of this, I'm listening right now, Jenny, like yeah. people go through stress in life because stress mm -hmm. is a part of our life, whether it's work yeah. stress, exam stress, yeah. family stress, Learning whatever Learning how stress. to navigate that, right? Yeah. That's really so important. The question then is, how mm -hmm. does one know if it's acceptable stress versus mm -hmm. stress that's going to put you at risk for suicide? Yeah. So, so that's a really good question. So it's the same with everything that I've done with myself or my children. Um, so it doesn't matter if it's stress, it doesn't matter, you know, like with Kaylee with sensory. So sensory processing disorder, it's a spectrum. Like we all have sensory processing. Um, hers is, is a level of a disorder because hers is, yeah. is functioning at such a low level. Now, the thing is to know when that you, you would want to seek help or make a change in your life is if you're getting to the point where you're not functioning at, a, at an ability that feels normal for you. That being said, there are plenty of people who are just existing, who are barely functioning, yeah. and they don't even realize it because it's become their norm. That has become normal for them. So sometimes it actually takes us going through something difficult to either get much, much worse before we go, oh, I need to make changes. Or sometimes it's saying, you know what? Am I just existing? Am I like, could I be more? Could I be different? and start making changes proactively. And once you feel better and you look back and go, holy crap, what, did I just live the last five years of my life feeling lethargic and I didn't even realize it? You know, and that's one of the things that happened with me is that I worked with an acupuncturist who um, helped me to better understand my gut health. And she yeah. put me on on a detox that, that I'm not gonna lie, it was, it was a really painful detox. And I was having to work with her twice a week to help um, manage it. But after it was like three, four weeks, I felt alive. I mean, like my brain could think. I didn't have brain fog anymore. And all so the she swelling. Your gut health, you said, right? What's that? She, you said she addressed your gut health. She did. Gut so health. Basically serotonin. Because that obviously stabilizes happiness levels. And... Well, it does, but there's so much more to that. Um, so yeah. our gut health, you know, it's about understanding the microbiome of our gut. Yeah. And yes. and so if our microbiome is off kilter, then it will impact our serotonin level. It'll impact all of our hormone levels, mm -hmm. right? And so it mm -hmm. is really important that we're addressing gut health. It's important that we have an awareness of the medications we're putting in our body. We need to yeah. remember that not just with food, right? Like a lot of the westernized foods that have chemicals in them, every medication that's created by Western medicine, um, especially like the pharmaceutical grade, these are not made to work with your body. They're made to override your body, right? Gosh, so that's why- How would you why... ever function like this in a world like this? How, would you, how could you tell what's causing what? Like that's just no, impossible. And that's now. where you'll see a lot of people who are going through challenges, they'll start on one antidepressant or one anti-anxiety medication. 
And then Which after a few months, they get on look. another. And then they get on another. Because yeah, now you're dealing with all the side effects. Because your body... So when we have side effects, um, whether it is because of something we're eating or, or we're taking for medication, um, or it's just our environment, right? Allergies, like our body's response to things, that is letting us know what's working and what isn't, right? So when we just go and take over-the-counter allergy medication to stop the runny nose or the, the watery eyes... Mm -hmm. That's telling our body, don't tell me there's a problem. Okay? It's not saying let's fix it. It's saying, like, quiet Something down, like don't tell me there's yeah. a problem. Yeah. Well, there was an article I read back in like 2015, and I've I've searched for it and I haven't I haven't been able to find it since then. But um, there was an article I read that talked about the increased number of kids diagnosed with ADHD who also were on over-the-counter allergy medication. Oh my God. Well, I had just gone through all of this gut health, you know, and had learned mm -hmm. about my gut. And so when I read this article, I went, well, that's a no brainer. Of course that's happening. Right. Because the, the medication is just telling the body, Shh, there's no problem. There's no problem. But the body on the inside is like, no, but there's still a problem. There, there really still is a problem. And I need to let you know. So now it's showing up through behavior. So now not only is the body reacting to whatever, maybe it was grass, maybe it was dust, who knows? Um, mm. It wasn't supporting the body, it was shutting it down. But now the body is trying to figure out a different way to tell you there's still a problem. And on top of that, you're putting this foreign medication in that it needs to process. So when I was talking earlier about toxins, Toxins come in all forms. You've got emotional toxins, right? Being in an unhealthy relationship or in an unhealthy setting that, that is actively um, activating different emotions that can, can be quote unquote negative. I know we talk about emotions, like there's no good or bad, but the ones that can feel challenging, um, you know, so having an awareness of that, of those like toxic relationships, um, toxic entertainment, are the things that we're watching, are they uplifting us? Are they educating us? Are they making us laugh? Um, or, you know, are they causing us to go into a dark place? Like, I can tell you that we used to, when I was married, at Christmas, we would watch The Sopranos. It was this weird Christmas tradition that we would binge watch The Sopranos. And I would take on the persona of Tony Soprano within, you know, like five episodes. And, and all yeah. of a sudden I started to realize like, this doesn't feel good. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be Tony Soprano, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but even like with our music, music is powerful. And, mm. and it has the ability to, to, to rise us up, raise us up or take us down, yeah. you know? I mean, it does have a very, very high vibration depending on what you're listening to. Yeah. Yeah, and so even with that, like one of the things that we worked on with Kaylee when she was going through these different challenges was to recognize what shows helped her to feel better. Like if she wanted an escape, what music helped her to feel better, you know? And so imagine like when you go through a breakup, our normal tendency for most people is to go turn Slap, on the sad the songs, yeah. right? Like the sad songs. And in some ways it's like, yeah, they get me and I'm not alone. That's great. We don't want to stay there. So yeah. whenever I'm doing stuff with Kaylee, it's kind of one of those, like, all right, you've got 10, 15 minutes tops mm -hmm. to like, get it all out of your system. And, and then we're going to turn on something that makes us laugh. We're gonna, and it's, it's not to deny what we're feeling. In fact, I strongly encourage people when you're feeling angry, when you're feeling sad, acknowledge it, 
right? Mm -hmm. What is this emotion? I actually picture that there's like a window to my soul right here. And, and so when I start to feel it, I acknowledge it and I go, Ooh, frustration, anger, disappointment. And you'll see my hand moving like this because I'm actually like, all right, pull it out, yeah. like, lift it out. Yeah. And my belief is that as I lift it out, it's alchemizing into healing energy. Right. I was just about to ask you because I mean, you know, I'm in the EQ space and you yeah. also know I've just launched emotion smart with a team. Yeah. Does being more aware of your emotions contribute to preventing suicide? Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. it's one tool, right? It's one tool yeah. we can use and it's a tool I use on a daily basis. My morning routine. So, um, you know, morning routines are really, really important. And a lot of people mm -hmm. talk about meditating in the morning or getting in your workout. And I do those things in addition to meditating that helps me get grounded. I also spend, um, time actively acknowledging the emotions that are in me that could come out. Yeah. Um, and so, so I do, after I do my meditation, I actually use a Tai Chi ruler. Um, and so I like to do moving meditations. And so I do yeah. breath work with my Tai Chi ruler. And so I have this little interval timer that, that guides me through it. And so after I do my Tai Chi ruler in each direction, I then put it down and I focus on what am I feeling and what can I let go of? And, right. and then I just start naming it, right? Well, um, Brene Brown talks about in her book, um, which one is it? Um, Atlas of the Heart. She talks about the fact that most people can only identify three emotions, um, especially yeah. when they're upset, right? Yeah. yeah, well, years ago, I um, became very interested in understanding kinesiology and trapped emotions in the body and and all that. And so I actually became certified as a practitioner for emotion code. And I'm not saying everyone needs to go do that. But what I will say is that by doing that, I learned a lot about emotions and, and I learned about the different emotions that exist. And let me see if I can hold this up. So, so many, there's so many, so many. And it's I know being emotionally granular, like just being more specific with what you're feeling. It's yes. called emotional so, granul granularity. Yeah. So this is like, you yeah, can Google yeah. this. So this is the emotion code. Yeah. And mm. so, so a lot of times when I'm doing my morning routine, I'll just naturally, like I let myself feel and I'm like frustration, despair, anxiety, you know, jealousy, yeah. envy, whatever. And sometimes again, especially if we have high empathy, mm -hmm. the emotions that we're letting go of aren't even ours, right? True. Sometimes we're holding on to stuff for other people. And, and so you don't have to judge it. You don't have to feel, be like, like, why did I have jealousy? Why did I have envy? You know, just, just let it go. Right. Yeah. And, um, so I do a whole process and then if I get stuck, but I'm like, mm, there's more, mm -hmm. I'll use the emotion code chart to see, like, is there more that I'm holding on to that could be let right. go? That isn't just naturally coming to the surface. And, but then from there. So it's really great that we're releasing emotions every day. We also want to activate what's already within us, right? And it is our joy and our love and our excitement and pleasure and stability. Oh, stability is something we all need and we overlook. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we go through our day without thinking about what we're really doing or what, what our purpose or our goal is, you know, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like getting in your car and, and saying to your GPS, I just don't want to be here. 
it's not going to take you anywhere, right? Like if in your head, part of you is like, I really want to go to the mall, but you told your GPS, I just don't want to be here. And it takes you to the grocery store. Part of you is going to be disappointed. You might get some groceries, but part of you is like, but was that really what I wanted? You know, we want to make sure that we're aware of what do we truly wish to experience in this life? You know, and this is an exercise I do on a regular basis that I have this journal, I have this, this little notebook here and I write questions at the top of it. What do I want to experience in this life? Or what are my core values? Um, you know, what are my essential requirements? And I just let myself free write. And it's all in the direction of helping me hone in on where mm. I wish to go in this life. And it's giving myself direction versus just wandering. Yeah, and that's so key to have meaning for your life. Like you talked about the three elements of you know, keeping yourself going with meaning, fulfillment, and I yeah, think so contribution. meaning, contribution, yeah. and connection. Yeah, oh, connection. Okay, right. Yeah. You know, the other day I saw this Instagram video um, of this girl dancing, mm -hmm. perfectly happy and merry, and so on. And the caption of the video said, "This was her 24 hours before she killed herself." And I was just like, "Oh my God, this stuff is so scary." And which brings me to ask you, like. I mean, this stuff is so tricky, first of all, and how do you like tell someone's at risk? I know we talked about a lot about that stuff, but yep. to really tell that someone could be at risk when they're like normal on the outside, supposedly, yeah. Yeah. how would you ever tell that someone really needs help? Yeah. So again, you know, those three factors, the connection, contribution, and, and meaning, um, when we are connected to others, and first, actually, let me back up and say, I am probably one of the few advocates out there who will say to you, I do not believe that we will live in a world where there is zero suicide. Okay. Yeah, of course. Just like there, you know, I mean, would it be ideal? Yes. Just like it would be yeah. ideal that we have zero heart attacks or we have zero cancer. Yeah. We really need to change the way we're talking about suicide and that we talk about yeah. it the same exact way that we talk about cancer or heart attack. So you might've seen a oh. guy running a marathon yesterday and then die of a heart attack today. And you're like, but how? How is that possible? Or right? even kill himself, right? So how True. do you ever tell that so, someone needs so, help? Yeah, so again, when we understand those three factors that put someone at the greatest risk, if we are connected to people, if we are having healthy relationships with people, it makes it easier to identify those three factors that put someone at risk, okay? Also, when we're educating ourselves as well as those around us, what those three factors are, and that it is actually a very natural response to extreme distress to have thoughts of suicide, right? To become suicidal. These are natural responses that our body is saying, whoa, there's something very wrong. Something's very wrong here. Something's out of balance. Then it's a matter of, is it in my environment? Or is it within me? Or is it a combination of the two? What happens though is because the way we currently talk about it, many people are perpetuating the stigma around suicide even though they don't realize it, okay? The way that we talk about it matters. So there's many advocates that believe if we just talk about it more, then it will resolve itself. And, and I disagree. It's, it is the words that we're using because our words impact the way we feel. It impacts the way we think, and then it's going to determine if we're going to respond to a situation or if we're going to react. We respond from a place of understanding and compassion with a desire to help, to support. We react from a place of fear and uncertainty with the need to control, okay? 
So spontaneous suicide is when someone experiences those three factors at once and they don't have the tools. They don't have the awareness to understand this is actually normal. This is natural to feel this way. I'm in distress. Okay. Um, I can tell you even last week, last week, again, this is what I do. <laughs> what I do last week, I had a hard day, a day that kicked my butt and I actually laid right there on the floor and just cried. And, and I had thoughts of suicide, right? There's a difference between having thoughts of suicide and being suicidal. Um, thoughts of suicide, all of us have experienced, even if we don't realize it. But if you yeah. think back to the last time you were really angry, you were really hurt or upset, and I want you to think about what did you do in that moment? You know, some people might curl up on the floor, like me, that's my go-to, curl up on the floor and cry. Some people might want to punch a wall, right? But the thoughts that typically go through their mind at that point is, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. I give up, right? There's nothing left for me, okay? But wouldn't that be in extreme distress? That is, yep. When I've heard that suicide happens when your brain like literally shuts down, it's out of your control. Like you can't control what you think or what you do after that. Is it's, that true? Mm, yes and no. That's so, so like I've had different types of being suicidal. So again, understanding that thoughts of suicide is different than being suicidal. So thoughts of suicide yeah. can, can last anywhere from seconds to hours. Um, yeah. I mean, even sometimes days, it's not where you're actively planning it or thinking about how to die. It's just kind of wishing that you did or that it was over. Um, and then, you know, when I was actively suicidal through postpartum depression, I was suicidal all day, every day, and I wasn't wishing to die. In fact, I was terrified of myself because it was like I had two brains. I had my healthy brain that was saying, get out of bed, eat, feed the baby. I then had my unhealthy brain that was telling me every possible way I could die to the point that I was scared to go in the bathroom, right? Because my razor to shave my legs was in there. I was scared to go in the kitchen. I was scared to drive my car. I didn't trust myself to not hurt myself. And I didn't feel like I was in control. Um, then in 2020, when I was going in and out of suicidal episodes, those were shorter. It would be anywhere from 30 minutes to two, three days. And, and my brain was actively thinking of ways to die. And, um, and I was thinking, like there were times where I was thinking, I'm grateful I do not have lethal means in my house because I'm not sure I'd be here right now. Um, but the more that I honed in on what it was that I was teaching, right? These three factors that put someone at risk and, and also understanding the elements that make up our physical, mental, and emotional health. I was able to have these moments of clarity where I'd go, wait a second, I'm okay. I'm just not well right now. Right. This is why we all need to get trained in this. This is why we all need to have a better understanding of our emotions, of our physical, mental, and emotional health so that we can have those moments where we go, one, this is normal. This is natural. I don't need to be ashamed. I don't need to feel guilty. I can ask for help, right? And no one's going to make me feel bad because we all understand it. Um, and, and two, I can pull myself out of this. I can do this because I have an awareness that this is, this is a moment in time that's, that's feeling really, really hard. Um, that being said, 
please, anyone out there watching, listening, please do not say that this was a permanent solution to a temporary problem. When a person is at that point, they do not see this as temporary, right? It is, yeah. it is as if they are in a burning building. They have not been given the tools. They have not been given any resources to believe that there's any other way out. And so they are in this burning building and they are following the signs to emergency exit, emergency exit. Mm -hmm. And when they get there, they're not thinking, was there another door I could go through? They're just following the emergency exit, right? And, and it's because they have not been taught anything else. Yeah, at all. This conversation is eye-opening for me on so many levels because I personally have come to like learn before this episode that like your mind is in your control, like how you think, what you think, whether you ruminate, don't ruminate, what you choose to focus on is in your control. But what I've heard in the last hour, it just kind of concludes that suicide can be out of your control with the foods you eat, with the skincare stuff you apply, right. with how you feel about your environment, your friends or no friends. And right. like I said, this is incredibly nuanced and kind of scary now, to be honest, because we don't really see these things. Well, as... and I, I definitely don't want anyone to leave here feeling scared. And what I want to say to people is this is about having open dialogue, right? And, yeah. you know, on, on the All That We Are website, you'll see that we have on there that's for free. You can go check it out. Um, language, right? It's called Safe Language. So it's how to talk about this, right? So you'll never hear me say that my dad committed suicide, that he killed himself, or that he took his own life. What you will hear me say is that I lost my dad to suicide, right? that he died from suicide, just like someone yeah. who died from cancer. So, so really removing any sort of shame. So what we need to understand is that the stigma associated with suicide is not shame, okay? Shame is the result of the stigma. The actual stigma is the idea that a person facing these challenges who has attempted suicide or died from suicide, that they are seen as weak, selfish, bad, mm. or broken. Yes. Okay. Yes. And that ultimately it was a choice. And what I try to explain to people is that when someone is at that point, their choices have been taken away because again, they haven't been taught differently, right? Mm. They are, they are in a moment where they are reacting. They are reacting from a place mm. of fear, from a place of uncertainty. So yeah. I am able to respond when I go into a state of feeling suicidal or having suicidal thoughts, I have enough awareness and enough training that I can respond. So I want you to think about it just like, you know, an athlete, like they can mm -hmm. show up in spaces very different than a person who doesn't exercise at all. Correct. Like sure. they can show up, like yeah. if there's an emergency, they're the person that is going to be able to run yeah. and go get help effortlessly. Right. That is me. I can go into that state and pull myself out. In fact, I can even go in that state and say, I'm going to be here for a minute. I'm going to be here for a minute and accept it because there's stuff that is needing to come out of me in this moment that I'm going to release, you know? Yeah. Um, and especially when it's a situational, you know, thing. Now, if you're interacting with someone who has ongoing um, thoughts of suicide or feeling suicidal, or a lot of people have depression um, or experiencing depression or experiencing anxiety that never become suicidal, right? And, and there's but suicide also... is the last thing, is the last step of 
depression? Would that no, no. it's not? Okay. No, 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 because because this is where we need to understand that there's six types of suicide. And oh my so, God, wow. so so some of them this is why Sakoon, <laughs> yeah. this is why my course is eight hours long, is because we yeah. go into all of this to, so that because we yeah. don't want anyone to leave feeling scared. We want yeah. people to feel empowered. We want people to to know that with proper tools and resources, we can get help. Just like if you got diagnosed with cancer, you have choices, right? You can choose which doctor you work with. You can choose which treatment plan you want to go with. You can research it and you may say, I'm going to do chemo. Or you might say, you know what? I'm going to go a holistic I'm route. I'm holistic route, yeah. You know, but no one's really talking about that with mental health. With mental health, the primary thing that we look at is for diagnosis is genetics, past traumas, yeah. and current stressors. But you heard me list all the things that can cause someone to go into a mental health crisis, right? So that there's so much more than those three things. When we're looking at treatment, mainstream mental health approach is to do talk therapy and pharmaceutical medication, right? Yes, absolutely. I am here today because of acupuncture and herbs, right? When I lost my dad and began having panic attacks, that is what helped me. When I went through postpartum depression and became suicidal, that is what helped me. Since then, I have explored, over the last 25 years, I have explored so many different modalities of healing. And, you know, from fork tuning to Reiki to my nutrition, um, you know, to rock climbing, like all of that, all of those things play a role in our overall health and wellness because of this. Um, so I don't just talk about mental health, right? For me, this is so much more than that because part of my journey involved me being diagnosed with five physical health conditions and then being able to reverse every single one of them through my nutrition, through understanding my body, right? So what, what I really would love for people to know is that we don't need to be scared of someone saying, I, I feel off or I feel suicidal or, and that's the thing is some people don't even know the difference between having thoughts of suicide and feeling suicidal. And being suicidal, exactly. Right? So, but this is the thing, it's that self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you automatically yeah. say, well, I have depression, oh, you know, it's like, well, guess what? You're telling yourself that you do. So I don't, you may have heard me change my words because I still correct myself is rather than saying people with, it's like, I'll say, no, people experiencing it, right? Mm -hmm. I've experienced episodes of feeling suicidal. Um, mm -hmm. I don't say I am suicidal. I've experienced it. I have felt it. Yeah. I, you know, so remembering that like to detach ourselves from it. Um, but to also know that with more knowledge, with better awareness, better communication, mm. we're not necessarily going to stop every single um, death that, that is from suicide, yeah. but we can do more, we can do better. And, sure. and giving people the tools to know that, let's say many people have tried talk therapy and it didn't work, or they tried pharmaceutical medication and it got worse, um, that they're, now they're like, well, I don't know what to do, I'm gonna give up, right? They don't have mm. to give up. There are so many other things that we can do and yeah, so much more to explore. So much more. As long as you're open to it. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. But when we go into a self-fulfilling prophecy, um, you know, we can then go in a downward spiral. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And that's how we trap ourselves.
I feel like it's so important to understand the subject in its entirety because, I mean, the last thing you want is someone seeing a stressed colleague at work and being like, you won't kill yourself, will you? Remember, like what people are looking for is connection, you know? And so this is where um, checking in with people, like you can say like, hey, do you need any help with anything, you know? Or, oh, hey, like, and, and even be cautious in saying, hey, I noticed you're off. Like it depends on your relationship with them. But, but you could just feel like, do you want to go grab coffee? You know? Um, and uh, I'm, awareness of, I'm aware of our time. So if you're okay on time, I'll, I'll tell you a story of how mm-hmm. I actually use um, what I call the SIT method. So this is, so the SIT method is my approach to crisis intervention. Okay. When, um, and so this was with someone who was actively in distress but you can also use this with someone, even if you're just trying to connect or you're concerned, Mm -hmm. but not sure if you should be concerned. Okay. So S, S stands for slow down and create stability. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is where for me, I received, I was actually at AFS in Columbia and, um, and she's given me permission to talk about this. Um, but I, so I'm there, it's two o'clock in the morning. And I get a text message from someone that says, are you awake? I could really use a hug. Mm -hmm. I have known this woman for less than 24 hours. I've had like a 15 minute conversation with her, right? Like that's it. And my response to her was, where are you? Okay. Now I'm incredibly grateful she reached out to me because I think if she'd reached out to anyone else, they would have called emergency services. But I went to her room. She came to the door and as she got there, to let me in, she was barely breathing because she was crying so hard. And, and she actually collapsed, right? As she opened the door, she collapsed and I caught her and, and I just stood there and I held her. Now in that moment, what I knew to do, because I've, I've been doing this for a long time and I've gotten very in tune with my intuition and just other people. I never said it out loud, but what I thought and the energy that I projected was feel my love. Right? Because when someone is in pain, they do not feel worthy of love. We don't have to convince them that they are. Energetically, we're all made of energy. Okay? So all I kept like in my head saying, feel my love. I held her there by the door for a second. And then we moved into the room. We sat down on the bed. I continued because I knew she had asked for a hug. So I knew physical touch was okay. I had my arm around her and I just continued to sit right there, never saying anything. I just was saying, feel my love inside. So then she started to slow down. I asked her if she wanted to try some breathing. We did some breathing. Um, all right. So we're focused on creating stability. Mm -hmm. Next step, I intentional communication. This Mm, is different. This is, thank you. This is different than active listening. Active listening is where you listen to repeat, to repeat back and say, I heard you say this. Or paraphrase what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Forget that. Okay. It's cold. It's distant. Um, This is about connection. This is about connection. So I listened to her. She told me what happened that night that she was upset. And I then said, oh man, I went through this and this. Is that similar to what you're feeling? Right? So I'm hearing her and I'm sharing from my own experiences. Or there was a time at one point where I said, oh, I saw this in a movie once. Is that it? Now, the benefit of this is I'm getting clarity because I could be wrong. I could be way off and she'd be like, no, that's not it. And I'd be like, ooh, okay, but that still helps me to know 
am I following? And it helps her to know I'm actually listening to what she's saying and I'm trying to make connection. What happens here is I don't have to say to her, I know how you feel. Because when you say that to someone who's in a lot of pain, they're gonna be like, no, you don't. You don't know how I feel, like get away from me, right? By me never saying I know how you feel, but by saying, is this similar? Like, is what I went through similar to what you're going through? She then has the opportunity to say yes or no. What was really cool with her was the look of shock on her face of like, what? You went through that? You know, like you, you, you've, you've been the only one going through something. Yeah. So powerful. So part of intentional communication is making those connections helping them to know that they're not alone. Part of, of intentional communication is, is being genuine, investing in them. It's also being aware of yourself. What are your boundaries? You know, how, how do you feel healthy? How to protect yourself? And I think your app with emotions helps people to be in tune with their own emotions. It doesn't mean we can't be real, right? Like we, we don't have to be guarded and fake and like, keep them at a distance. It's, yeah. it's just having an awareness of our own. So that's where if you wanted to create distance, you could make it about a movie or a TV show. Yeah. Um, it's also about knowing when you can laugh and we want to bring laughter in. We want to bring humor. We want to remind them there's something good, right? We laughed about my situations, you know, where I was like, oh my gosh, this happened. And can you believe this? And, you know, and it was just this like back and forth. And, and eventually she really relaxed. And so even though at one point she had told me, I don't know if I want to live. Okay. Like those were her words at one point. Now it's been three hours. Okay. And, and we've totally moved on the bed. We're just cozy. We're talking like girlfriends who've known each other our whole lives. Right. Now is the final step. Transition to next steps. Okay. Transition, okay. transition to next steps is where we talk about who else can we bring into this? Again, making sure that we, the person who's helping has support, making sure the person going through it has additional support, having open and clear communication about who we're going to bring in, who we're going to talk to. Um, it was also in saying like, okay, it's five o'clock in the morning. How are you feeling? Where are you at now compared to when I came in? You know, do you think we should get some sleep? Would you like to be here alone or would you like for me to stay? And what did she, say? she wanted to be alone. And even though she had told me she wasn't sure if she wanted to live three hours earlier, I felt totally fine, like leaving. Because here's the thing that if you think about suicide, you know, and feeling suicidal as the same as a fever, it doesn't stay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. It's not, but then how would you know that either? How can you you feel it? Okay. Again, we're energy, feel them, feel them, trust them. Part of it's trust. Part of it's this open intentional communication. We're talking through this. We've talked about who other people are. They're going to support. Right. So, so then it was a make a plan. Okay. She's comfortable staying by herself. And so then I say, all right, let's make a plan to meet at 9am at this spot. And Mm. is it okay if I run into anyone is okay to let them know to check in with you? And to see, because there were different healers there and different people that could give her things that I couldn't. And she said, yes, right? She left that event, I think, with more friends than anyone else. Um, She was so open and honest about what happened during the night and told everyone about it. Um, And what was really beautiful is through our intentional communication, while it started with, this happened an hour ago and is what set me off, I listened to her. 
And I realized some of this was the fact that she was going through a divorce. Some of it was mm -hmm. from, you know, the fact that she was had had a fight with her mom a few weeks ago, but it hadn't resolved it. Right. So we went in a hundred different directions and I just let it, mm -hmm. I let it cause all of it was an opportunity to release. And one of the things that I do when I'm working with people and you do not have to be trained in this, it is the power of intention. Okay. Mm -hmm. As someone's talking to you, simply project your energy, feel my love. The other thing you can do is if you're picking up on emotions or feeling, release them. Just pull it from the space, right? We're going to let that go. And whether you make the hand gesture or just in your mind, you're like, ooh, she's feeling frustrated. Let's let it go. It's energy. Help it move, okay? Um, yeah. And so those are all things that, that we can do to support that is someone. That so useful. Wow. I mean, this entire talk has been just, it's just blown my mind. Like, um, honestly, I mean, I'm so happy we had this conversation. Me too. It's so important. There's one last thing I want to say. Please. Let's say she had left, I had left and let's say she yeah. had died from suicide. Okay. Oh. Let's say, let's put it out there. Cause people are how you said people are gonna be yeah. scared. Yes. It could happen. Yes. Yes. Okay. Here is the difference because of the way I use the sit method. Would mm -hmm. I be sad? Yes, I would. I would obviously I'm, I'm human. I'm a very, I'm a very yeah. sensitive human. I would be sad. However, Guilt, I would not feel guilty. I would know that yeah. I gave her everything that I had. Like I shared my love with her, which is the most powerful element that any one of us possesses. Okay. I shared that with her. And so I would know that the last experience that she had with someone was coming from a place of love. Okay. That's fair. And I That's have fair. to think about this. I have a brother who is homeless, who is on drugs and alcohol, who, you know, Every day I send him love every day. I clear energy from him. Um, I picture a life that I, that I wish he was living for him. Right. I send all this positive. I don't focus on the negative. I don't focus on all the things that are hard. I focus on the life I wish for him. And, and I know that if one day I get the call that he died, I will be sad, but it will not be how I felt when my dad died. When my dad died, I felt like I could have done more. I didn't do enough. I failed him. Right. Mm, I know so that cool. I've done everything I can for my brother. I know that when I interact with someone in crisis, I'm never scared. Never. I, I never worry that they might die. I, all I focus on is I'm going to share my love with you. That's it. You know, man, I'm so glad you said that disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this can mislead so many people into like, you know, dying of guilt. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who've lost someone who will say, but I loved them. I loved them and they still died. And it's like, yeah, I loved my dad and he still died. I didn't understand when he was at that point, mm -hmm. he needed more from me, like to, to experience it in a different way. Right. And this is why I teach yeah. how to use the five love languages to communicate with someone um, who's in crisis. And um, because I didn't understand that that's what he was going through. And for my dad, it very much was, I'm failing my family, right? I'm, I'm having a hard time at work. I can barely drive my car. I'm not sleeping. I'm failing everyone. I'm a burden on everyone. So now take that yeah. deeper. Does he feel like he's worthy of love if he's failing everyone, if he's a burden on everyone? And I could say to him, and I did say to him, but you're not a burden. You're not failing. But those are just words, you know? So um, I didn't know enough when, when I lost him 25 years ago. And, and now again, I'm not saying that I'm necessarily going to save every person, mm. 
I do know that I'm acting from a place of love and sometimes that's all we can do. Because it's also the soul journey. Absolutely. I mean, this might sound very esoteric and I'm not sure how spiritual you are, but very. there's a saying that every soul decides when they'll be born and when they'll die and how they'll die. Absolutely. Which is pretty and, crazy to think about, but. And yeah. I'm glad you brought that. I don't talk about it in a lot of spaces because not everyone's <laughs> okay with that, but there's, an, there's an amazing yeah. book called The Journey Home. Um, I'll send oh, you a link to it. It's, it's a parable. I've, I've heard the book is on my list. I'll, I'll buy it now. It's, it really like, it took me reading it twice. Um, when I read it the second time that I went, oh my gosh, when someone mm. is at that point of feeling suicidal, they're homesick. They feel so oh disconnected God, no. from the from universe, the from, yeah, yeah, you know, like we are meant to be one and yet we can become mm. so isolated and polarized yeah. in this human experience. That's why I was saying it isn't suicide that's complex. It's the human experience that's complex. Jenny, thank you so much for your time, your yeah. beautiful presence and your just insane insights for <laughs> lack of words. Honestly, it's been very, very enlightening today and kind of on question based on what we talked about, but how would you describe an epic being? An epic being? You mean like, um, what comes to, to mind? To me, when you hear it's that? the core of who I am. We all are, mm. um, you mm. know, and so it's living truly in alignment with recognizing that we actually, so let me rephrase it's, um, a lot. I used to say I'm in tune with my body, mind, and soul. And a few months ago, I actually have it written on a post-it note right here. I am my soul. I am my soul and I am in harmony with and grateful for my mind and body. That to me is, is living as an epic being. That is beautiful and so much food for thought for me at least, not anyone else, like so much to think about. Um, and where would you like people to check out your work and explore more about what you have to say, your yeah, message and just you know. Absolutely. Um, if you go to the easiest place, go to allthatweare.com. You'll see all of our social handles there, um, but you'll also see some really great resources. There's tools on there that can help you learn how to let go of emotions, how to like, there's different meditations um, on our resource page. And, and then, like I said, we've got um, some resources for the three factors that put someone at risk, reduce the risk and the sit method if you want a refresher. Um, and then safe language mm -hmm. is also on there. Perfect. And yeah, just again, thank you so much and stay blessed and bless you for all the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing. I absolutely love how you're making a difference <laughs> in this world. Thank you. I appreciate that. And that's the wrap. Thanks so much for tuning in. If this conversation resonated, help spread the value by sharing with a friend and feel free to share your thoughts and comments on Instagram at epic.beings. Also, to stay up to date with weekly episodes, you may want to hit subscribe. Until next time, stay epic.